Well, good morning, y'all. Um, growing up in the church as I did as a uh, pastor's kid, which should explain why I'm so jacked up, um, we, uh, <laughs> we always had this thing in the fall where we always had a revival immediately following what pastors refer to as the summer slump as a way to like pump people back up. And uh, have any of you ever been to a revival? Yeah? All right. How many of you all were raised Baptist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Uh, my dad, who is uh, commonly referred to as Brother Bob by the parishioners, uh, he loved doing revivals. He, he loved it. And we'd sing all the old Southern gospel songs. We would sing every verse of every hymn and if the song service was like forever, the preaching was even longer. I mean, we're talking about pack a lunch, it's two and a half hours, so don't be complaining about our little one-hour services here at Westridge. And uh, one of the big things, the themes of uh, Revival Meeting was repentance, right? And, and the goal of every pastor was to get as many people as he could by the end of the revival, to come forward to repent and to give their lives to Jesus. So a, a dream, you know, for any pastor preaching revival is that you have 100 people, you know, coming down the aisle ready, ready to give their lives. And there was one particular revival meeting that was led by a uh, preacher by the name of Brother Jack Busby. And uh, he came to our little church in Harvey, Illinois, and he was from the South. And let me tell you, that guy, he, he could preach all night. And, um, but on the last night of the revival, I'll never forget it, uh, Brother Busby, he just started hyping it up. And he told this real horrifying story about a guy named Charlie. Charlie went to church every Sunday. He was in Sunday school. He gave his tithe. He um, was a good person. Everybody thought he was a really great guy. But old Charlie, he never, ever really gave his life to Jesus. And so as the story goes, the rapture came, and all the Christ followers, you know, were taken up into heaven. But old Charlie, as they say, he was left behind. And then Preacher Busby starts right in, talking about the pits of hell and eternal fire and damnation. And when we're all good and scared, he starts talking real quiet, like about Charlie feeling the heat of the fires of hell. And he waits for just the right moment, and all of a sudden he just takes and he slams his fist on the pulpit. Everybody jumps, and he says, I'm telling you all, you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you. And like the whole church jumps, and there's crying, and there's babies screaming. And, you know, the, the, the whole shot, I slept in my parents' room for like the next three nights. I was like scared to death. But, you know, scaring the hell out of people is one approach, which uh, we don't necessarily believe in here. But what I do think that Jesus had in mind is that every single one of us be saved. Every single one of us follow Jesus, but not out of a fear of hell that we would follow Jesus because, well, we love him. We want to follow him. We love what he's done for us. And so we make a decision on our own 
no emotion, just, hey, this is what I want to commit my life to. So as we start this revival, ask yourself, where am I at in my relationship with God? Where do I want to be? And if tonight was the night that I was called up and I was standing before God, would I be invited to walk down those streets of gold? Because truth be told, none of us want to end up like old Charlie. We got revival happening. I even started preaching yet. Well, if you look up the definition of revival, revival is that something that creates renewed spiritual interest, bringing someone or something back to life, or a Christian meeting to bring people back to Jesus and or strengthen their faith. So that, ladies and gentlemen, what we're going to be trying to do over the next four weeks because a lot of us are in need of a good old-fashioned revival meeting to bring that spiritual vitality back, right? A lot of us, we get lost, we get distracted, there's stuff going on in our lives, and we forget what it's like and what it means to live for Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about looking at what that first step looks like to bring it on back. So Jesus, I think, um, lays it on the line in terms of what it looks like to, uh, to follow him. And so in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, which is the text we're going to look at today, Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking, If any of you want to follow me, then you must deny yourself, take up your cross every day, and then follow me. If you try and hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their very self? Now, for some of us who grew up in the church, we've heard this passage like a million times. And we've always, most of the time, we hear it interpreted as, you know, taking up my cross is making some type of a sacrifice for Jesus, right? We say, yeah, I am totally in, I am willing to sacrifice everything that I have for Jesus, knowing that it's some ambiguous thing that we can't even define what that even looks like. We could say that, you know, if there ever came a time where we were standing at gunpoint and we were told to reject Jesus or die, I know that I would stand firm in my faith and I would die for my faith if I had to, knowing that the odds of something like that happening in this country are greater than me winning the Powerball. Right, And so we feel really good about ourselves saying something like that, and we quietly pat ourselves on the back for having such a strong faith. However, what if Jesus isn't saying that at all? What if he's actually talking about something even more challenging than physically dying for your faith? What if he's really saying something like, and try this on, What if he's really saying something like, if anyone wants to follow me, then they must deny themselves and stop living a self-absorbed life. What if he's really saying something like, if anyone wants to follow me, they must first drop the false image of who they are trying to portray themselves to be, to bring out all the insecurities that we've been trying to hide and walk humbly after me. What if he's really saying something like, 
If you want to follow me, then you have to give up control of your life and trust me now with your life. That's all a little more difficult, isn't it? I mean, my problem with that, and I've really tried to take this on, but my problem with all of that, to be honest with you, is that there is always somebody, as I'm trying to live my life for Jesus, that gets in the way of that. And I've talked about this guy before, but I can't seem to shake him. I keep trying to push him out of the way so that I can be freed up to live the life that I want to live for Jesus, but the issue is that he shares the same body with me, so he's a little difficult to lose. And so it's difficult. I call him Big Ego Darren. You may have already met him. In fact, if you know me, I'm sure you've met him. But if you haven't, let me just tell you a few things about him. Big Ego Darren, he's awesome. Like, I love that guy. So now if I take this scripture to say that I am taking up my cross daily, and what it really means is that big ego Darren, who is my alter ego, who deep down I really love and admire, the Darren who knows and loves this world, the Darren who is assertive and confident and has a swagger about him, you know, that that Darren that is good at business and is successful, and of course, everybody wants to be like him, right? That the Darren that has an ego that is bigger than this building, that that Darren now has to pick up his cross and die so that I can now become the Darren that God created me to be. That is to say, the Darren who puts others before himself. The Darren who uses his gifts to serve other people. The Darren who lives in a generous way. The Darren who is more concerned about his relationship with Jesus than he is what other people think about him. The Darren who is humble and gentle and kind. So now, as I understand it, that the old egotistical Darren should now just die so that I can now make room for the new Meek and modest, Darren. That's rough. Because I love that guy. I mean, it's a whole lot easier for me to say that I will certainly sacrifice for Jesus and work in the nursery once a month and change dirty diapers than it is this day in and day out killing of all the stuff that I love about me, which is a heck of a lot more difficult. I'm not sure I can do that. That requires that I wake up every day, every day. I pick up my cross and I commit that this day, this day I'm going to live for Jesus and not me. And I hate it when it's not about me. That this day I will give up control and I will let Jesus lead me. That it's no longer enough for me to invite Jesus into my church time on Sunday morning and then ask him to leave when I go back to work on Monday morning because there's just something I have to do, Jesus. And I can't do it if you're like hanging around me all the time. Quite frankly, you know, sometimes you just cramp my style. 
The hard part of the Christian life is the everyday part. It's the being a follower of Jesus all the time part. It's the turning the control of our life over to Jesus part. It's the if anyone wants to follow me, must deny himself and take up his or her cross every single day part. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me. Don't get me wrong. I have glimpses of it, right? I have these shocking moments where I go, wow, did I just deny the awesomely great big ego Darren in exchange for humbly following Jesus? It happens. It's rare, but it happens. You see, if you believe that we were created by God and that you believe that we were created in the image of God as the Bible says, then you have to believe that God created us with a particular design a way that we live our life that will maximize our life, that will create an abundant life. And when you live against that design, it's a life of frustration. What ends up happening most of the time is that we decide that we want to be the ones to drive our lives, a.k.a. through our egos. And so we decide that we're going to design and control my own life, my own destiny, I want to be in control. And so now, instead of becoming the person that God created you to be, you're the person that you created you to be. And now, instead of being the person that God wants you to be and living the life that God designed, now you have become Big Ego Sally, Big Ego Scott, Big Ego John, Big Ego Lisa. Because we're driving the agenda. We're driving the design. And the harder that we work, catch this, the harder that we work to become the person that we want to become, the further we move away from becoming the person that God created us to become. Which is what it is saying in verse 24 when Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life for dear life, if you're clinging to big ego Darren, if you're clinging to all the stuff you love about your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're able to give up your life for my sake, Jesus says, that's when you save it. So in order for me to save my life, I have to lose it every single day. Not physically, mind you, but that I will kill off another little piece of my old self every day so that I can create capacity for the person that God created me to be, to take over. And the only way that I know to get that done is through what Brother Busby calls repentance. Repentance, by my definition, is when we are able to let go of our ego and our pride, we're able to move past it to the point that we're able to humbly admit that we have screwed up, 
We have messed up our lives. And we are in need of forgiveness. Repentance is what gives us the strength to kill off our old self and begin taking on this new life in Jesus. Unfortunately, there have been a lot of us who have been taught that repentance is all about feeling guilty. Like, if you feel guilty, that that's repentance. And that's really not what it is, because there's a lot of times where I feel bad that I feel guilty that doesn't create change, right? And so we overeat again, and we feel guilty. We overdrink again, and we feel guilty. We um, hit those websites again, and we feel guilty. We get angry and rage out at the people that we love the most, and we feel guilty, but there's no change. We continue the pattern, the cycle of the same behavior without any change. Repentance is what creates the change. The word in the original Greek language for repentance in the New Testament is metanoia, which means that we are transforming our mind so that it can begin to change the way that we actually think. This is very much like our word metamorphosis, where it talks about a complete transformation. So when I repent of something, I begin to change my mind about my problem and my life, and I begin to think and live differently. I begin to understand that I can't do it on my own, and I need God's help. Repentance is getting freed up from the stuff that holds you back from being the person that God wants you to become. Because there is like this sin in our life. And I I really believe that every single one of us has something in our life that we struggle with. Some sin, some demon that we fight, some weakness, some Achilles heel, something that takes us down that we have to fight through every single day that wants to keep us from living a life in God. And so repentance is what helps us to deal with that and completely transform what that is. And the way that we deal with that, I think there's two steps to repentance, to authentic repentance. The first one is confession. We're able to set our pride aside, to admit our failures, and this is where we can finally admit, you know what, I don't have it all together, I'm really messed up, I need forgiveness. But the second one is the critical path to repentance, and that is a commitment to change. Because repentance is not as much about a a change in behavior, and by that I mean where we just stop doing the bad things, because we'll never really stop if that's all we're trying to do. Repentance allows us to actually create change where we don't want to do those things anymore because we've changed the entire way that we live and think, and so that's not even a possibility for us anymore. When we come to God in authentic repentance, we can stop beating ourselves up about the junk in our lives and and finally live freed up from the past. There's a big difference between good guilt and bad guilt, right? Bad guilt is what keeps us stuck in that behavior. We get stuck in the shame. We can never get past it because we constantly feel bad about ourselves, and so we stay stuck there. Good guilt is is a result of repentance which frees us up from that. We still remember the things that we've done and the hurt that we've caused, and it helps us to maybe never go back there again, but we're freed up from that and we're able to move past it. And that is through repentance. The other word in the Bible that's used for repent 
is actually found in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word, and it's pronounced teshuvah. And teshuvah has the idea that we return to where I originally came from. It means to return to your born identity. It means to find your way back to the person you were created to be from the very beginning. The Bible is very clear. We were created in the image of God. That we were created from the beginning to be in a relationship with God. If we're going to live as we are designed to live, if we're going to find an abundant life, then we have to live according to our design. And when we fight that design, when we decide to live differently than the way that we're designed, it is a life of frustration. We lose our true identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus, they're a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has begun. This is consistent with our text, that when you look at the phrase in verse 23, when Jesus says that we are to deny yourself, in the original Greek text, it can be translated to stop acting like yourself. Isn't that funny? Stop acting like yourself, which is really to say, stop acting like who you're not. Because Jesus goes on in verse 25 and says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose your very self, your real self, the self that God created you to become? So he puts this contrast. He's like, you can live as big ego daring. You can be successful. You can capture the entire world. You You can just do incredible things. But at the end of the day, you're going to lose. But if you can manage to be your authentic self, the self that God wants you to be, who he created you to be, that's when you save your life. So Jesus implies here that if I'm successful at becoming big ego Darren, whose image that I'm successful in the eyes of the world, good at business and And doggone it, people like me. At the end of the day, what do I have? Right? When they put big ego Darren into the ground, who was successful in this world, I'm done. I had a good run, but now it's just game over. However, if I can manage to pick up my cross every day, and kill off another little piece of big ego Darren while there's still time, kill off my old self, Jesus says, now the real you, the Darren I created you to become, can now be freed up and live the life I created you to live, which is a way more fulfilling and abundant and satisfying life than trying to live this life where I'm trying to create this image of success in an effort to make everyone around me believe that I have my stuff together when all the while I'm just a hot mess. When you really think about it, would it really be all that tragic if big ego Darren dies a permanent death? Right? Never to be heard from again? I mean, truth be told, he wasn't as cool as I made him out to be. He really didn't have all of his stuff together like I pretended that he did. I can promise you my wife sure wouldn't miss him. So, could it be that 
The living for Jesus part is the best part. Maybe the other part that I thought that I loved, the success, the stuff, maybe that's the ugly part that needs to get dead, buried, and out of the way so that I can be freed up to live the life that God wants for me. Which I can tell you as I've tasted that is a way better life. When that happens, there comes a point and it hasn't happened for me yet. That when people look at me, instead of seeing big ego Darren, they see, I love Jesus Darren. I mean, how cool would it be if I could live my life in such a way where I seamlessly walk in the shadow of Jesus because I'm following him so closely that I'm just a step behind. I have to tell you this. I love Jesus. I love following Jesus. I love following Jesus with all my heart. And I fail miserably at it. But every day, I seek not to be the person that I created me to be, but to walk fully as the person that God created me to become. May God give us the wisdom to stop pretending to be something that we're not. May he give us the insight to understand what's real and important in this world. And may he give us the strength to kill off another little piece of our old self every single day so that we can become who we really are. Just people who love Jesus, who want to live every day with him.